with my family, we started many traditions long ago, and uh, you know, and I'm grateful for my wife. Just a number of traditions that we started in the house, and one of the traditions that we started is is every time we woke up on Christmas morning, we would get up together, and before we would open gifts, we would read out of Luke what you heard today. So we'd always do that. We always went and cut down our trees. We like fresh trees, new trees. So we always had that as a tradition. And one of the other traditions we started uh, is that uh, we would get an ornament for the tree every year. And from the time I uh, was engaged to uh, Anita to the current date, she has bought an ornament for the tree every year. And I have to tell you, sometimes I thought the tree was going to tilt over, especially when it was all six of us. And so she'd buy an ornament for the tree. And so some of those ornaments would have all our names on them. And I think one year she had a bunch of snowmen, and they're like in these sleds. And this, this ornament is like this big, you know what I mean? And so, but just traditions that we started. But the greatest tradition that we started in our house is one of the things that we talk to one another about is the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. And we try to share something about our Savior. And so one of the things I challenge you with is, is that in your home, never forget why we're actually doing this. I know we're going to open gifts and it's good to see the kids and all that wonderful stuff and all that food that's going to be eaten and all the things you're going to do and the fellowship of it all. But boy, let Jesus Christ be the center of it. And that's really why we're doing this. And you know, the world needs to see that again. And they need to see that uh, the church has not become commercialized either or some, that Jesus Christ is some commodity that we're trying to sell on one day a year or something like that. But they really need to see who he really is. And I began to really think about that. You know, let me encourage you to remember that celebration of Christ. And <clears throat> we know and we can see what Christmas has turned into in our world today. And you look around and it's all about Black Friday and a big sale and uh, what the stock market's doing and all that kind of thing. Did you ever think that Jesus would have that kind of an effect on the world? <laughs> you know? And the thing of it is, is that they use him in so many ways, but they forget the character of our Savior. And, and you think about how it's evolved into, uh, uh, instead of God's gift to man, it's man's gift to other men and what we can do and who sometimes, uh, I've been around families who want to outdo one another. Have you been in those situations? Has anybody ever bought you a gift that was over the top and you're standing there and you're like, oh my goodness. Well, something just happened to me tonight. I walked into the auditorium. I saw somebody walk in with a package. I was going to walk up to them and say, hey, did you get me something? And before I even got the words out of my mouth, Miss Connie goes, hey, we got this for you. And I probably turned about 10 shades of red. <laughs> and the thing of it is, is people are giving around this time of the year. But you know, our Savior is always giving, isn't he? And we have to have that mentality at all times that we want to reach out to other people. And we know and can see that Christmas has evolved uh, a day of gifts rather than a celebration of Christ. And, and I really want us to think about that as a church, about really how we celebrate. We find in the Old Testament the reference to the coming of Christ, revealing his character and his cause for coming to the earth. And so what I want you to think about is in my home, and whether it's just me and my spouse or whether it's me and the children or me and the grandchildren or what have you, is it a celebration of Jesus Christ's birth? Is that what it's really about for you in that home? So let this Christmas have a focus on Christ. And when we think about that, I want to talk about his character tonight. And there's two reasons set forth here, the character of Christ and the cause of Christ in this passage. And I, and I look at this, the character of Christ is so important. And a couple of things that I want you to think about tonight is when they talk about Christ here in this passage, he said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And I want you to know that has not changed not changed. Just because he's not physically here anymore doesn't mean the government's not upon his shoulder. 
If you think about it, what is the dampening of the thoughts of the American people right now? And you know, you think about how they want to push him out and push him out, but you know what? We ought to be stronger and more bold in our faith. And the reason I share that with you is, is that uh, I can remember in my second grade that when I would go into the classroom, uh, Mrs. Lewis would come in and she would read the Bible to us and she would pray with us. <laughs> and by the time I got to third grade, they pretty much outlawed it. You couldn't do it anymore. And she got away with it for a long time. And they moved to a moment of silent meditation. How many of you remember that? We're going to have a moment of silent meditation. And the thing of it is, is that Christ keeps getting pushed out of everywhere. But you know, folks, he shouldn't get pushed out of our churches. He should be in the forefront of our churches. We ought to have such a force of people that say, hey, listen, we have a different point of view. And you know, there's a lot of Christian schools who started a lot of different things like that. That's not going to turn your child into a Christian. What turns a child into a Christian is who Christ is. And as in our homes and in our families, we have to demonstrate that to our family and who he really is. When I think about this, Christ is born in Luke 2, and we see throughout the Gospels and the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the government and the religious leaders sought to end his life. And I'm telling you, they haven't stopped. They would like to end the life of Jesus Christ. <laughs> they would like to wipe his name out because he causes you to have to be confronted with who you are as a person, and it causes you to have to think about who you are as an individual. And a lot of people don't want that in their lives. They don't want it. They see it as guilt and not a conscience toward a, a more holy, righteous God. And so they want to push that away. And, and Christ came as a baby who was born as a gift from God. And, and now I want you to remember that he's going to come back as the ruler of the world. <laughs> and so we love the babe in the manger, but we forget about the ruler that's coming. And he's going to come with great wrath. And he's going to come with judgment and all of those things. And so what we have a responsibility to do now as a church is even though we're announcing who he is, he's wonderful, he's counselor, he's the mighty God, he's the everlasting father, he's the prince of peace, he's all of those things, but he's also going to return one day. And the purpose of the local New Testament church is to get the name of Jesus Christ out. It's not that people might know our name, it's that they know his name. And we as a people have a, should have a desire to want to make sure that Christ is front and center in our lives and the stronger we are as Christians, the stronger uh, we stick together, the more people that we bring to Christ, the stronger it gets, and the message gets stronger as we go along. And so I want to challenge us this year to think about a family maybe that you can impact for Jesus Christ. We then see his perfections described, giving us a reminder of who Christ is to all those who will trust and believe in him. And you look at this and I challenge you to really go do your own study, but just think about these words right now of what God's describing his son as. One of the things that he says about him is that he's wonderful. <laughs> now, how many things in your life do you say is wonderful? I remember uh, Anita and I had the opportunity to go over to uh, Switzerland and over to Austria, and I was standing in the Swiss Alps, and I looked out and I thought to myself, that is amazing, that's wonderful. I mean, you can see something so amazing. But whenever you look to the scriptures and you look at Jesus Christ and start to talk about wonderful, he's talking about something that's absolutely supernatural. Now, for those Alps to be the way they are, that's a supernatural act of God, isn't it? God had to do that. And man wants to turn that into some evolutionary thing, but it's pretty supernatural. When you use the word wonderful here and the thing that he's talking about, it's a supernatural miracle. You know what a supernatural miracle is? It's today when Gianna came forward and she was talking about how Mary had pondered all those things in her heart. What was Mary pondering in her heart? 
She was wondering in her heart that she was told that she was about to have the Savior of the world. She had to think about what was taking place in her life. And the thing of it is, is that the world doesn't want us to believe this, but Mary was a virgin and she had Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had placed that seed in her. That is wonderful, isn't it? That's supernatural. See, the world doesn't want to believe that because that doesn't make sense scientifically or it doesn't make sense to the world, but it's the truth, isn't it? And God told us. So, so that, my friends, is wonderful. That is what God's talking about. This is the wonderful Savior that we're talking about. That's supernatural, born of a virgin. Now think about this. I remember my son Connor, we had a, a Christmas or a New Year's Eve service, and he preached. And I remember in, the, in his service he said uh, that he woke up every day praying that he would not sin. And he said, I haven't succeeded yet. <laughs> Do you know what's wonderful? Our Savior never sinned. Isn't that amazing? Now that's supernatural, isn't it? When you think of the effect that the world has on the human mind and body and spirit, think about him making his way for 30 years through the world and going to the cross and never having once sinned. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? When you think about wonderful, that's wonderful. I mean, we get tempted easily and fall into sin quickly, but you imagine how often he was tempted, thinking about him being in that desert place and Satan himself coming up and tempting him after he had thirsted and, and hungered for 40 days in the desert place. And, and Jesus, his, the way to debunk uh, Satan and the temptations was, he used the phrase over and over again, as it is what? Written. That's wonderful. That's supernatural, isn't it? And think about how we need that supernatural power in our lives, that wonderful counselor to come along and help us in our times of need. If we want to be dependent on something, let's be dependent on God and not ourselves. When I look at this, that supernatural is, is that he died on the cross. Now, when he died on the cross, he died on the cross and his blood was shed that we might have eternal life. That, my friends, is supernatural. What did he do that day? And this is the story that we get so tired of hearing sometimes, but the fact is, is that we ought to rejoice in that story over and over again about what he did on the cross of Calvary for us. And he died on that cross that day that we might have eternal life. And in fact, his final words is, it is finished. That's wonderful, isn't it? The work's been done. <laughs> it's completed. And what a wonderful supernatural thing that happened for you and for me. When I thought about this, I thought about how he rose again for you and me. <laughs> and you know how he was seen, uh, not only of the apostles, but uh, above 500 saw him. And, and the fact is, is that he did come up from the grave. Now we're going to celebrate in the spring, we're going to celebrate Easter. We're celebrating Christmas now. We're celebrating the birth of our Savior. We're going to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of our Savior. And when you think about it, is that supernatural? Of course it is. What a wonderful thing that God did for us. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose up from the grave. And so that's a wonderful thing for us to consider. When I thought about wonderful, I thought about how this is just such so many supernatural miracles. And when you consider something wonderful, this word's only found in the Old Testament twice. This word in particular it's found in this verse, and then it's found again in Isaiah 25.1. And in both cases, it's talking about that supernatural action of God, the things that God's capable of that no man can do. And I thought about wonderful. How many of you like to go into the mountains? Maybe I, I know a lot of you are from this area, but I love the mountains. And, and when I go into the mountains, there's something about it for me. I don't know what it is. When I get there, I feel safe for some reason. <laughs> I feel like there's something surrounding me and taking care of me for some reason. 
But when you get out in the mountains, there's nothing like it. If you get out to the mountains on a snowy day and you can see all the trees just covered in ice and snow and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think about, boy, that's wonderful, isn't it? And, and you know, how many of you uh, have, have been in a place, when I was a kid, I delivered newspapers with my brother, and, and I remember we were going to get our newspapers, we had to go up across the highway to get the newspapers. My mom used to panic every time we'd do it, because we had to cross a main route to get over to where our newspapers were being dropped off. And, and we have 120-some newspapers we have to deliver, and, and we get up there, I mean, it's just snowing like crazy, so we couldn't even get on our bikes and load our bikes up, and we get over there to where the newspapers are, <clears throat> and we had this one that we used to flip a coin, no joke, who was going up that hill to go up to deliver that one newspaper because you had to walk it up there because they desired to have it on their porch step. If we threw it up in their driveway, they would not pay their bill. So we had to walk all the way to the top of this hill to take it up there. And when we got up there, we had multiple papers that we delivered down along the side of the road. When we got down there, the trees were just covered in ice and it was like an arch. Anybody ever seen anything like that? My brother and I stood there in awe and the sunlight started to come through. And it was like kind of sprinkling through. And I thought, man, this is amazing. I mean, look at this. And back then, you didn't have cell phones where you could go, you know, and do four selfies behind you and all that kind of stuff. We just stand there and all looking at it. That, my friends, was amazing. And I thought about the mountains. And then I thought about the trees and the snow. And how many of you enjoy the fall? When you go to the mountains in the fall, it's an amazing thing. You go out there in the fall and you start to see the leaves changing colors. There's nothing like it. It's such an amazing thing to go out there and watch how God had done all of these wonderful things and you see all these beautiful colors coming to life in the fall. God did that. And I thought about how I not only enjoy the fall, but how I enjoy the spring when everything starts coming up. It starts coming to life. Things come up out of the ground and they start to come to life. And who did that? God did that. God made that. God made those things happen. And I, I thought about how summer, in the summertime, how many of you enjoy, and I used to love doing this. I, I would go out at night when we were in Virginia. I'd love to lay down on the ground and look up at the stars. Anybody ever lay down on the ground and just look up at the stars and see something amazing out there? And it's so wonderful just to kind of look at what God created all around us. And I thought about not only in the summer, but man, when you look up, and uh, one of the things I remember, Chris being here, uh, Victor, one of the last things that Victor and I talked about <laughs> was right there at that door. He busted that door open, and he said, come out here and look at this moon. And I mean, it was beautiful. Who put that moon there? <laughs> God did. It's amazing when I look at the moon. And I thought about the stars and the moon, and, and, and you start looking at all the things that God has created, and, and you look at all these wonderful things, and you think about all the creatures and the creations that God has made. And, and, and you know, I, I've been to zoos and I, I've been to places where I've seen these exotic animals and different things. And I think to myself, this is amazing to me. And when we say wonderful, I just want you to get a hold of who we're talking about. God did these things and he's supernatural. That's the God that we serve. And he's a wonderful God. So when we talk about a child is born and his name shall be called Wonderful, he's supernatural. When you think about that supernatural God, in Psalm 40, in verse 5, it says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. 
When he says to us word, he's talking about us, that, that he says in this passage in the psalm, he said that his thoughts are to us word. They cannot be reckoned. In other words, you can't add them up. You can't reconcile them when you think about who God is. The Bible says he's wonderful. And so I want you to think about that wonderful Savior whenever you're having this Christmas day on the 25th. God also calls him counselor. And when he calls him counselor, you have this idea, deliberate guidance and with purpose. And as one that has trusted Christ, this is a gift from God letting us know Christ not only saves us, but is involved in our life. Now listen, he's wonderful, he's supernatural, but he's also counselor. Do you know what that means? A counselor means that they're deliberately working with you. They're giving you guidance, they're helping you, and they're working with you. So whenever it says his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, that's the God that we have. That's the God that we serve. And so God says he wants to deliberately be involved in our life. Isaiah 40 and verse 13 says, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? We can't teach God anything. God needs to teach us, and he's our counselor. And so when God speaks of him in that manner, this is what he's talking about. In Romans eleven thirty four. he said, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, who hath been his counselor? We can't even fathom all that God is capable of. When we think about wonderful, all that supernatural that has taken place, think about the world itself and how they want to point us to evolution. They want to come up with some idea of billions of years. They want us to think all these different thoughts. And God simply says in the Bible, in the beginning, God. Isn't that amazing? And yet the world wants us to be impressed with their knowledge. And who hath counseled God? <laughs> Who's given him anything? When you look at the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind, now listen to me, of Christ. <laughs> it's what gives us insight that the world does not have, folks. The insight is, is that we understand that these places, these things that we see, they were marvelously made by the hands of our Savior. <laughs> All the things that you see around us, God created. He made, he did these things. And so when you're in the mountains or you're at the sea or you're in the land or you're in the prairies, listen, God allowed all that to occur. God did that, and he's capable of it. And he's our counselor. When you have trouble, there's no better place to go than the one who has all the counsel. And so he's wonderful. He's supernatural. He's our counselor. But God also says this about his son, the mighty God. This tells us that the power of God is attributed to Christ and reminds us that Jesus is God. You know, in Philippians 2, 6, I mentioned this this morning in the message, but it says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ is the Lord. <laughs> and when you get saved, listen to me. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 10. I want you to look at this verse with me real quick because I want you to really understand something because we complicate this sometimes for folks, but in Romans chapter 10, if you'll turn there with me. Everybody turn there with me for just a moment. Romans chapter 10. If you're there with me, say amen. Look at verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, the mighty God tells us about the power of Christ. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. When you look at this passage, what I want to challenge you with is this thought. If we'll confess with our mouth, that means that we agree with God. Now notice what it says. And shalt believe in thine heart, that God did something, that he hath raised him from the what? 
dead, thou shalt be saved. What saves a person's soul from an eternal hell is they believe what God did. And Jesus Christ is the Lord. God allowed his only begotten son to be put into the ground and be raised again. And this is when we're talking to folks about what they believe. The fact is, is that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And the Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, what? Jesus, isn't it? I want you to get a hold of this. The Lord Jesus. That means now that he is the master of my life. That word Lord means master. And he's saying that Jesus has become the master of my life. Now, here's the thing. God is the one that said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That means that he is equal with God. And then what did God do? By the mighty hand of God, it wasn't robbery for Jesus to say that he's equated with God, but the fact is, is that God raised him from the dead. Listen, when someone believes that and believes in their heart what Christ did for them, that is salvation, folks. And it's not more difficult than that. It's as simple as that. And they must believe. And here's the truth of the matter. When I look at this and I see this, he said, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The world has no problem with God. They have a problem with Jesus. <laughs> Yet God said in his word, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the what? Lord Jesus. You see, the Bible clearly teaches us something about him. He is the mighty God. Now, wait a minute. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty, what? Think about that for just a moment. He said, my son is going to be the Mighty, what? Isn't that amazing? But yet the world has a problem with who Jesus is. How many cantatas do you think people have sat through and heard that verse read and never register in their mind? what God actually just said there. And he said, my son will be the mighty God. <laughs> and the fact is, is how many people sit through those things and never really clicks in their mind what God just said about his only begotten son. Now, not only that, he calls him the everlasting father. Now, the Bible says, call no man father, but who? Our heavenly father, right? <laughs> What did God just call Jesus Christ right here? And you think about this. Therefore, he must be equal with God, right? Now think about the verse. The everlasting what? Father. Isn't that amazing? Now, the challenge is this. That Jesus Christ was not just a man. The Bible clearly says that he is the everlasting what? Isn't that amazing? Now, who has that title but God alone? Now think about it. And the world wants to tell us that, well, no, we believe Jesus was just a good guy and he was a prophet and all that stuff. But when we're reading uh, Isaiah 9, 6, this is prophetic in nature, talking about the birth of the Savior coming. We read this around this time of the year, but then we forget what God said about his only begotten son. And God has said he is the everlasting father. Now, take into consideration, this is the security for the one that trusts Christ to take their soul to heaven because everlasting is forever and Christ and the Father are one. In John chapter 10 and verse 30 Jesus made this statement. And by the way, when he talked like this, he upset people. He said, I and my Father are one. Did he have a right to say that? 
course he did. What did God say about him here in the Old Testament before he actually, his incarnation, before he was actually born on this earth? What did God say about him? He's the everlasting what? Isn't that amazing? And so when we talk about this wonderful supernatural God who sent his son who is wonderful, he's the counselor. And when you, when you look at this, he's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. And he said, I and my father are one. You see, you can't separate Jesus Christ from God. He is God in the flesh. And the world does not want to believe that, folks. That's why we need to have a strong testimony. Our position need not change. Our disposition has to be right, too. We don't want to be angry and mad and have our veins popping out of our neck to tell them that. But we do want to tell them that, no, Jesus Christ is the Lord. And believe me, you, I just went down to, um, 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 where did I tell you, Vicki? Sydney High School, right? You know what I said? We went down to Sydney High School. Uh, uh, June's uh, daughter, Cheyenne, was in, in the choir singing down there. So we went down to Sydney High School, and they sang all these religious songs in the high school. I was blown away. And the whole time they're singing them, I'm wondering if they're actually hearing what they're saying. And the thing is, is that they're down there singing all these religious songs, and, and they even had the, the crowd stand up and sing these religious songs. I thought, man, this is like being in church service almost. I almost wanted to say, here, give me that microphone for just a minute. I got a few things I want to share with you, you know. But the thing of it is, is that it was packed out. It was crowded. And they're all sitting there listening to these things about the, the, the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're singing these songs in a public school. And I wondered the whole time I was sitting there, did they hear what they were singing? And the thing of it is, is how many times do we miss out because we're not really hearing what God is saying. And when you think about this, the everlasting Father, I and my Father are one, part of those songs that they were singing indicates that. And that they're one. Well, he's not only called the wonderful and counselor and the mighty God and the everlasting Father, he's called the Prince of Peace. And you look at that passage and he said the Prince of Peace. Christ was sent that he would bring salvation to man, bringing peace between God and man. Ephesians 2.14 said, For he is our peace. In John 14.27, he said, Peace I leave you with, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He's the Prince of Peace. When you think about this type of peace, this is not uh, you know, what we might consider in our earthly way, that it's just quiet and stillness and all that kind of stuff. It means even in the middle of chaos, there's a peace within us. <laughs> in the middle of turmoil, we have this Prince of Peace. You see, as a saved individual, uh, we have something that the world doesn't have, and that is, is that we have God in us. He indwells us. And so, even when our lives are chaotic, even when things seem to be disastrous, the one thing that no man can rob us of is our relationship with the Lord. <laughs> no man can take that from you. And if you're truly saved, you understand this peace that God's talking about, and you understand who the Prince of Peace is. And the type of peace that he brought is not the peace that the world thinks of. You see, the world thinks peace is, is that there's never going to be any wars. <laughs> the world thinks that that's how it's going to be. I want to tell you, peace through Jesus Christ caused wars. And the thing is, is that we have problems in the Middle East today because of who Jesus Christ is. And we have problems today 
and there are wars and rumors of wars and all those kinds of things going on because of the Prince of Peace. And the type of peace that he brings, he's saying, I'll reconcile you to the Heavenly Father. That's the peace he's brought. When you look at this passage in John, he said, Peace I leave you with, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And then he told you, let not your heart be what? Trouble, neither let it be afraid. How many of you have ever been afraid? Anybody in here ever been afraid? Everybody has been scared? <laughs> when we were kids, my brother and I, we were praying one, one night, and we had a walk-in closet in one of the rooms. I wish my brother was here, because when he finds out I tell these stories, he gets mad at me, but that's okay. We just spent the weekend together. <laughs> he was just a little guy, and, uh, and he was tiny, and uh, we, were, we were kneeling beside the bed. We were praying together, and my sister had this real ugly mask. I don't know where she got it from, but we had this walk-in closet in our room. So he was praying in his bed, and our beds were like this, and his was closest to the closet. And I remember this <laughs> so well, because my sister come running out of the closet and just, ah, and she had this mask on the screen. And he jumped up and jumped over, and he was beside me. I remember him trembling <laughs> just out of fear. And from that day forward, I could not get up at night and go to the restroom if he wasn't trailing behind me. <laughs> and so he was always with me. And uh, when I see him today, he'd shoot me for telling you that story because he's such a strong person today. And he's a police officer down in Columbus now. But, you know, but when we were kids, but I, I saw him so afraid that he was trembling. And I think about his verse. And he said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be what? Afraid. Don't be afraid of anything. And it doesn't mean that fear doesn't enter in by things that we see, but we don't have anything to fear, really, do we? If you're to part this earth and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, where's your home? It's in heaven alone, isn't it? So when you think about this Christmas, here's my challenge to you tonight. I want you to think about this wonderful counsel, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace. God gave us something that we can really hold on to. I have one more thought I want to give to you, and I'll be finished. The cause of Christ. And I just want you to think about this. When I look at the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace, the reason God sent this babe to the manger is so that he would be the Savior of the world for all who would trust and believe in him. In 1 John 4, 14 and 15, the Bible says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. You know, that's such a wonderful verse to help us as believers. And one of the things I want to challenge you with is this. <clears throat> testify of God, testify of the Father. If the Bible said that he is the mighty God, he's the everlasting Father, you're testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us in this passage, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, being that he did that doesn't mean that everybody's on their way to heaven. There's religions out there that teach that there is no real hell, but the Bible really speaks of hell, doesn't it? So there is a place where the soul's going to go for eternity. And there's a conscious decision that has to be made by man. God left the church here and left us here to be that testimony for him. And so our whole purpose as a church body is to make sure that we go out and we communicate this about this counselor, about this wonderful counselor, this, this, this Prince of Peace, this everlasting Father, this, this person that, that we talk about, Jesus Christ. He is the answer to the troubled world today. And nothing will take away what someone has need of more than Christ. And he said, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, to confess means that I agree with God. I want you to think about that, that I agree with God. 
I agree with God. I agree with God. I confess. If you go into a courtroom and you walk into the courtroom, and, and I've shared this with you, and I, I stand before the judge, and the judge says, I have here before me, uh, it shares with me that you were written a citation, you were doing 70 and a 55, and you say, uh, Judge, I confess. That means I agree with the court. <laughs> I'm wrong. And the idea is, is when we confess, we agree with God. When he says in this passage, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Now listen, not that Jesus is just some son or that Jesus is just some prophet, but we agree with God that Jesus is the definite article, Son of God. So we're not just talking about some Son of God. We're talking about the Son of God. And then he says that God dwelleth in him and he in God. And this is what you have to understand. When you get saved, God dwells in you. <laughs> He's in you. He's not floating about somewhere. He resides in us. And we no longer, if you will, just have a conscience, but we have a conscience toward God. And we have something that God has given to us, and we begin to understand the right and the wrong. We begin to understand truth in light of the Scripture. And God enlightens us and gives us what we need. When you think about this, this child that was born so that man may live for eternity, but it really comes down to a choice. And folks, it's not our choice, it's their choice. I can only share the message, they make the choice. And what you're doing when you're talking about this cause of Christ, he came that many may live. So it's a choice that you trust and believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I thought about what a joy we have to celebrate the birth of our Savior. We call him the Savior of the world. We get to celebrate this. But we also have a message that the world needs. So this week, this month, this year, would you consider maybe trying to find a family or an individual or someone that you could really reach out to and tell them about this child that was born, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of your grace and